0: Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's podcast. This episode we're in studio again. And we're going to kind of reflect as usual. I don't like to prepare anything for these podcasts, so they're mostly Spontaneous Reflections, and this one is going to be on commitment and discipline. Lately, this matter was brought to the forefront of my own reflections, my daily reflections for my own training as a practitioner, and also as a mentor in a sensei-deshi relationship. I think, however, it is a topic that should be at the forefront of our ongoing daily concerns. I think when we put it on the back burner it's because we are at that moment no longer practicing these virtues. So I think everyone should always go into these matters and that's what we're going to do today. Usually when I start with a reflection, I've, if I look back at, at how, it would, how it was structured, I tend to look at some sort of or look for some sort of utility. It makes sense in my mind to have a why. I think you need a why. You need some sort of stated result, some sort of end. And it's only upon finding that that you can come to dis- determine or decide upon a strategy which itself denotes an application of wisdom, which itself consists of identifying ways over other ways that lead to your why. When it comes to the why of Aikido, They are perhaps as infinite as there are types of people who train in the art. Again, as you know from earlier podcasts I don't see Aikido as something that is singular or codified and I don't want it to be. I think those kind of efforts are people who have adopted unknowingly or knowingly a kind of herd mentality, and that is in the end contrary to my own understanding of Budo, because at some level Budo is a kind of freedom from the herd. It is a skill in liberation. And herd mentalities are the exact opposite of that. A herd mentality is the final nail in our own spiritual coffin whereby our own bondage has become unconscious to ourselves making that kind of power trap completely fulfilled. So for me, there is as many Aikido as there are people practicing it, and as a result there are as many wise as there are people practicing it. each person should decide for themselves what is their why. And thereby they can proceed down that reflection chain. Using the application of wisdom and the discerning between ways And then the choosing of which ways lead to the fulfillment of their own why. Through earlier podcasts, I think any listener can kind of at least deduce what my why might be and therefore can at some level understand what will go unsaid in today's episode. Although I will try and do my best to bring to the surface all defining context and criteria in order to capture the most wise and to make this episode relevant to as many listeners as possible I want to use a negative why and it is the following no one comes into a dojo to suck at Aikido. Whatever their Aikido is, nobody starts that training and says my understanding of Aikido is A and what I hope to get most out of this training is to be terrible at A. It just does not happen. The very process of training as I've said earlier is that one engages in an act of transformation as they move from their current self to at least a non-current self variant. But the underlying attachment is that the non-current self variant is in some way positive. It's not a negative act. It's not a negative manifestation. And from this, this combination of transformation and positivity, we can capture a lot of wise. by understanding this as a totality seen through the lens of performance. Meaning colloquially when we talk about performance we are talking about a skill and a skill that is looking to be positive. When we say a skill or a lack of skill and speak of it in negative terms, we tend to say a lack of performance. There's some sort of positivity that comes with the common usage of the word performance. If you look at some uh, other areas of our lives where we're interested in performance, it is very well understood by most, especially those who have achieved it, more so those that have achieved a high level of performance. Meaning those who can outperform the majority of the population attempting said performance. It is well known that the more you commit to your performance the more you improve the more you accomplish, the more you achieve moving from your current self to your desired self. In my experience, and this is just mine, in an activity like the martial arts, I have found it to be a kind of general requirement made up of four to six hours of training per day. This is the ballpark. That requirement doesn't change if you're in school, if you're single, if you have kids, if you have a job the requirement is almost an unconscious mathematical equation where the result mandates the investment. When I look back and when I wanted to become fluent in Japanese, so let's step away from a martial arts setting. I wanted to become fluent in Japanese when I was a freshman in college I signed up for Japanese language, it was one hour a day, it was five days a week. Other languages like Spanish was four hours One hour a day, four days a week. And I remember thinking, God, this is not fair. There's way more work. And I'm only getting one extra unit. Japanese was five units, Spanish was four units. I had to learn the language. And I had to learn a new alphabet, a new way of writing. In fact, I had to learn three. You didn't have to do that in Spanish. Well, when I got past myself, I realized I was meeting their requirement one hour a day, five days a week. But I was not meeting the requirement of my why, my goal, which was to be fluent. So I thought, well, maybe I'll get past the first year and I'll add the second year. And it was a continuation of the same kind of model. One hour, five days a week. There is a language lab requirement. It's nothing major. And the same thing happened. I can take their test. I can get an A in the class. But I'm not fluent. for my major as I got into graduate school which was in religious studies with an emphasis on Japanese religious culture it became pressured by the practicality requirement The goal I had to become fluent and what I deduced in the years of it not happening is that that manner of studying, of practicing of training in the language was insufficient to accomplish the goal and at some level everyone knew it my mentor who was fluent in Japanese knew it. The professors who were teaching Japanese knew it. And of course, any of the students who were trying to actually have the skill, not just the CV listing. We all knew it too. And so some universities with that understanding, they actually taught it differently. They had what are called intensive languages. And you went to your Japanese language class for five hours a day, five days a week. And it's true, I got more comfortable with it But I found that there were, it was almost like luck. If the conversation, and conversational language is always more difficult than reading or writing, taking a test, because there's nuances in the foreign language. that you just don't cover in class, that that cultures leave to your upbringing to understand. So it was like luck. If the conversation happened to be or overlap with what I knew, I could act as if I was fluent. But inside, because I was very interested in the goal, I took the goal seriously. I could tell that I was able to participate in the conversation more out of coincidence than out of any actual skill. So, looking at this deeply and from a broader point of view, I could see that the five hours per day was right in the middle of the four to six hours. I had learned was the bare minimum for training via my sports history and my martial arts history. It was right there. But I added that word, didn't I? It's the minimum. It's not the maximum. It's the minimum. We have a minimum training requirement in our dojo. Anybody who enters a trial membership, which is generally four weeks with no dues obligation, where someone can learn if the dojo is a good fit for them and I, as the sensei, get to learn whether... I can actually meet the needs or the wants of this student whether entering into a sensei deshi contract not a business contract but a kind of marriage contract, a social contract could ever in the end be practical and to enter into that trial membership you have to have a minimum of two hours per week And those two hours have to be held on different days, so it's two days per week. And I list it as a minimum training requirement, and many people come to the dojo and feel, hey, I'm making the minimum. I'm good to go. But here I just said the minimum is somewhere in the range of four to six hours. Well, the minimum training requirement in the dojo protocols is really just a window for me to see whether this person or at what level this person sees training as a spare time activity or an act of convenience or whether they understand the skill and to what degree of making time for training. Two hours a week, two days a week is well below the practical minimum of four to six hours per day. It is a very interesting history I imagine and were I still an academic it would be fascinating to write it of how we moderns have come to base everything with the prioritization of the intellect and upon our pedagogies that stem out from that. So you go to class, just like I did freshman year, and Japanese is really an intellectual exercise, when in fact, language is anything but. Language is a skill at the level of being, at least fluency is in fact if you have to think your way through a conversation you're not having one but we learn math hour at a time We study history hour at a time. Our whole self-cultivation processes are now all based upon schoolbook learning. This is why there's the use of tests, grades, desk where you can't move, all in a line it goes so deep and it has spilled out as a symptom of our modern age into areas where it would have not only seemed so counterintuitive, so false, so foreign and so wrong. But it is so powerful and so widely used as part of our own age's institutional inertia that what happened is not that its failures were brought to the surface, but that the art forms or the practices themselves were transformed to fit their models. And this is what you see in early language studies, and this is undoubtedly what we see in the martial arts. Early practitioners even as the arts of Japan spread outward, did not have this view. And we know that to be the case as late as the 20th century. But slowly over the decades since then, it is so well cemented that you learn this practice which is meant to function at the level of being that you can do so as if you were learning math or history. And you not only see this in the reduced and delusional amount of hours that people dedicate to this skill set but even class formats where the hour is split between discussion and talking, there is a reduction of actually moving, of doing reps I would say even the prioritization of form of Kihon Waza which is now well held well over the cultivation of skill Meaning, in the academic requirement and assumption that skill is identifiable with form, with a form, with a tactical architecture, has by default deprioritized skill and held up form. This is why all Aikido tests are never tests in skill. They're tests in form. Because academia assumes because otherwise it would have no way of doing what it does. It assumes that skill is in form. This is why in my Japanese language classes they test you like they test you. They don't test for fluency. They test for the transmission of form. Because I was honest with myself and I think everyone needs to be when you're looking for your why and your discernible process for achieving that why. And I realized five hours a day was a minimum. That while it did show signs of improvement Did not really yield the results. It, this is the simple reason. If I have 24 hours in a day, the greater majority of that day is spent thinking in and speaking with a different language. Again, everyone knows this. All those concerned with fluency know this. And when I was able to face that realization they felt comfortable letting me know the truth and it was, if you really want to be fluent in Japanese you have to go live in Japan. Which is an extension of that last or an application of that last realization. You're going to have to change the number of hours you're giving towards contrary ways. You can't have the minority of your day aimed at the goal you want, that the majority of your day has to be aimed at the goal you want. You have to make four to six hours a true minimum. And it wasn't until I did that, until I went and lived in Japan that I felt that original goal, the fluency, actually being manifested. I think there's a practical aspect to the 4 to 6 hours. Once you do that, it's it it uh it addresses and starts to function less as a minimum but more as a true base. Let me try to explain this. So what I found depending on the sport or the activity that if you go over that amount, you almost get a diminishing return. So prior to I'm going to draw from my athletic history. I competed in two sports at a national level and was operating at the height where you get invited to the Olympic Training Center as hopeful and prospect. I remember it was not uncommon it was I, I that's probably not accurate. It was not unheard of that there were athletes who would practice this sport for eight hours a day. but if you look deeper, it was occasionally eight hours a day. And the reason for that is there is a practical necessity for recovery that goes with athletic training. And eight hours of physical training is going to require much more time in recovery. Sometimes, if you train four hours a day, for example, you could do that easily every day. If you train eight hours a day, you might have to take the next day off, maybe even part of the third day off. And so by the end of the week, you actually have less time training. Something like that too happened in my language school in Japan. So when I went to Japan, I still entered into a language school. And it too was five hours a day because after a while, It's like your mind can't process it. There's a diminishing return. What the remainder of your day was made up of was not, you know, drinking from a fire hose in terms of remembering kanji or grammatical patterns or the stress of test taking, but you just, you were done with that and you went out and you lived life as you fine tune. And we're exposed to the subtle aspects of culture and its language. So I imagine in Budo there's people that can train eight hours a day. I imagine it has a lot to do with what else you got going in your life. And I imagine it has to do with your age and your athletic history what are the levels of your injuries that you're living with, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. And so I would only say that there has to be on the one hand, there is this almost universal law That to move something from my intellect into my being, into my body, I have to work with this idea of four to six hours. And then I have to supplement it with what else can I do in the rest of my day so that the majority of my hours are spent more in that world, than in a world contrary to it. That this will, as I figure out how to do this, that this will guarantee that I will never, regardless of what my reason is, come into the dojo and suck at that reason. That this is some sort of ballpark I can put myself in when it comes to practices meant to operate at this level of my being. And I'll do okay. Let's step to the side a little bit and let's look at that. When you have a goal that allows you to delineate better ways over lesser ways in terms of achieving that goal, in other words, the application of wisdom and of strategy... the way that you're going to discern what is wise and what is strategic is you're going to look at your achievement. How close are you to your goal? How far are you? Are you heading towards it? Or are you heading away from it? There's a couple of things I've seen over the years decades now that often go without notice when in fact these are key insights we should all have The first one is that plateaus one are us not achieving our goal and two plateaus don't really exist that staying still does not really happen There are numerous reasons for this. Age. Injury. The finality of moments. But no one truly stays still. And so plateaus. This kind of regression we'd like to euphemize with that word. Plateau. Should really be made a problem. Meaning, what I'm really looking for is continuous advancement towards my goal. If we use the word achievement, I think this is how it should be understood. Not in the sense that I have reached my goal. I think we should choose goals that are really unreachable. And maybe perhaps all goals really are. Maybe goals are just directions. Not destinations. And so if we use the word achievement we're really really more interested in not the actual reaching of a destination, but more a direction and a movement along that direction. And really why we're interested in that is because we want to note if we're going backwards because then my means is not very wise nor very strategic and I'm not really having a goal and without knowing it I come into the dojo then Wanting to suck. I may even be able to put a lip service over it where I can continue to repeat my goal to myself, to my teachers, even if it is, I just don't want to suck at what my goal is. But by looking at what are we actually achieving? in terms of direction and travel, in looking and noting openly to ourselves whether we're going in the other direction, whether we're feigning, staying still or not, we bring bring consciousness and the power of consciousness to our practice. And this is vital because at one point, at one point, especially in Budo, it is that tendency to live unconsciously that we are trying to change. So to not bring this into our sense of. discipline and commitment, our skill in reconciling all contradiction and discrepancy between how we are acting, how we are living, how we are being, how we are thinking and our stated goal. If we do not give us ourselves the tool of conscious consciousness, then we kind of reach a whole other deeper level of hell. When you look at yourself, we Can just use this solution. We can just plug it in. I need this four to six hours. And you have to be imaginative with that. It's not, it's not, and it doesn't have to be, I'm going to do Ikkyo for four to six hours. There is so much to bringing in an art into your cells that you don't have to do Ikkyo for four hours. There's strength training, there's flexibility training, there's breathing training, there's postural training. There's sabuti training, there's partner training, there's solo training. It goes on and on. So you take this base work and then you have to now tackle the second problem of how do I make this part of my life no longer a minority of my life. Very famous trainer Charles Poliquin is very critical of words like discipline and motivation and you should read his 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 essays on that it makes perfect sense it does i'm still using the word discipline and i probably am however equally as he is critical of the word motivation. So I'm using the word discipline. It makes sense to me. Motivation is what I tend to use when I'm as critical as he is. And I I use it like this. So uh, motivation is like a novice's need. The novice comes to the problem of discipline and commitment and sees it as a motivational problem. But this very need, or even just the proposing of this idea, is telling you that training is not happening at the level of being. And I can draw this analogy here. I'm not motivated to breathe. My body just breathes. Training needs to function at that level. I don't have to find some sort of charge, some sort of energy to get me on the mat. I go onto the mat with the same amount of energy it takes my body to find and take its next breath. And when I get that kind of emotional drive and desire for that breath, if I ever do have it, it's because at the moment I'm not breathing. Someone's choking me out. I'm going to be pretty motivated to get that next breath. So it goes together. The motivation and the need for motivation to train is a sign that you are not training. We want to do something different. Poliquin talks about the myth of discipline from the point of view that the committed athlete does not need or use discipline. They use love. It's kind of saying the same thing. There's no need for an external tyranny or an internal cheerleading section to get this athlete in there. They're driven already internally in a very positive and unconscious way to hit those four to six hours and to make those four to six hours supplemented by other investments of self that make up or that have their sport be a majority of their day. So he ties it to love. If I, if I need to be motivated to love someone, then obviously I'm not in love with them. He's trying to outline this naturalness that must take place And he's using love in a commonly used way as some sort of thing that's just in us. It's internally gravitational, requiring no conscious or intellectual driving of ourselves. This idea, as I see it, is very akin to the one I just stated where we want training to operate at the level of breathing. We're we're using analogy to say I should train in that way. I don't need these extra things to get me there. That's what I'm looking for. Because that is the most efficient way. But it is efficient because... It has become a part of who I am. Just like love is a part of who I am when I'm in love. But if you go deeper, love is a kind of, and has to be, a kind of action. It is true, there is in us a capacity for this raw emotion to come in and to drive us without conscious thought. But love in real life, let's say in a real relationship, requires work. And it's a work of a particular kind that leads us to achieving our goals in Aikido. It's the work of sacrifice. And when you think of sacrifice, it's not as it is in love. It is not a sacrificing of who we are. That's not practical enough. It is a sacrificing of all those things. All those actions, all those activities, all those ideas, all those practices that are making up those other 20 hours in the day that are preventing me from making my practice The majority of my day. While the novice looks for some sort of internal cheerleading or some sort of self tyranny through discipline and motivation as they understand it, the expert athlete and the expert martial artist is acting more like an ascetic. Where discipline is understood in very practical ways, not emotional ways, very practical ways. Wherein one stops and forfeits and gives up all those things that were at first lending themselves towards their individual practice, making up only a minority of their day. I totally understand what Charles Poliquin is saying. I can see how it makes sense. I can look back in my own athletic history and I see it there too. But It's more of a colloquial interpretation of what athletes are doing. When you really look at it, you're looking at them letting go of all those things in their lives that take away from the time they can give to their sport. You're looking at the process of making their sport the majority of their day. You're looking at a parallel example of someone who wants to be fluent in a language moving from one hour five days a week to five hours a day to five hours a day and living where that language lives. You can employ this and this is the definition of commitment as I understand it. It's not so much at at least at the level of practice it's not so much a magnetism to the desired goal as it is a rejection a separation a departing from everything that is not leading towards that goal. Everything that does not stop the plateauing Everything that does not have you oriented in the right direction, everything that does not have you moving in the right direction is sacrificed. This is commitment at a practical level. This is commitment as a skill. And like with all skills, we're better at it the longer we practice it, which means at the beginning we suck at it. This means over time we have to experience the ups and downs the forward and backwards of commitment. We will have to play with our schedule. We will have to play with our friendships to learn that there's more we have to play with. To fix one thing, to sacrifice one thing, is to fix 10 things or to sacrifice 20 things. It is to understand more fully that we are works in progress eternally. Again, like the ascetic. It seems to be missed by most people that the Buddha reached awakening under the Bodhi tree and then he continued to do exactly what he did before that awakening. We are works in progress. We are in need of a continuous practice. And again, for Budo as I understand it, that's the point. All of this is a kind of self-exploration In some ways, if I commence this practice in sacrifice, develop this skill in commitment, that very process is what is actually important. Again, the achievement is not important. The process is what counts. I think current generations have a problem with this. Discipline and commitment, of course, is understood academically nowadays. Which is always going to lead to those adolescent understandings of motivation and tyranny of self. The need for motivation, the internal cheerleading section. Maybe we even need an external cheerleading section nowadays. at our old dojo, I don't think this is uncommon, it was next door to a fitness center. And the personal trainer that's running the course is wearing a headset, microphone, you know like Madonna or Jenna Jackson in a concert. And they go around and they just telling everyone how great they are. It's an external cheerleading section. And the idea here is that if I'm not cheered, I'm not going to do this. Being cheered helps me do it. Of course, financially, it helps the business, right? Oh, you make me feel good about myself. And then I'll keep coming, then I'll keep paying you. But if our capacity for doing something rests at all outside of ourselves, then it is not, our practice is not functioning at the level of being. This is an extension of our misunderstanding, our departure from how the ascetic understood commitment and discipline. Even Charles Poliquin's view that you don't need discipline, you need love, that is an extension of our misunderstanding of how the ascetic uses it. That's why he has to say Just get rid of discipline. He is telling us that how we understand discipline today is entirely useless and incorrect. It does not work. So if I can sum up on this notion here. Remember our skill set is meant to function at the level of being. And that is held in contrast to an intellectual advancement, a conscious understanding. In many ways, what we're looking for is an unconscious competence. We're looking for a fluency And we did use achievement to understand but not as a marker in and of itself. It is a metric to identify wisdom and strategy. The discernment between multiple ways of achieving a goal. But in addition, and this is where most of us miss it, the goal is not important. It's the self investigation wherein we are on the lookout for contradiction and hypocrisy, and self-delusion. And so the metric of achievement is only used to discover consistency, sincerity, integrity. Made possible through the requirement that we are heading in the direction we want to head in that we are not staying still that we are not heading in the wrong direction and again for budo this is of the utmost importance The goal is actually unattainable. Even the goal, the general universal goal of not sucking at Aikido. Whatever that means to you. Because we can always improve. The goal is unattainable. But the process is real. And it is viable as a means of gaining spiritual maturity, dropping the delusion of self, reconciling ego, developing skill in self displacement, ending suffering. perhaps different from the athlete, although when I spoke and I was with athletes that are operating at very high levels, they do sort of speak like ascetics. Winning nationals was not the goal as much as being the closest they could to their ideal, as they could be continuously. Winning nationals was a consequence of that. You had, of course, people who, I just want to win nationals. But they always seemed to be a notch below those others. They weren't ever as consistent they seem to be more prone to being psyched out. They get nervous in the big matches. So if I'm on mat, I'm talking about more discipline and more commitment. It, I'm speaking about it. This way. I'm not speaking at all from the vein of 100% achievement. There's no such thing. Discipline and application of self is understood as 100% commitment. And that commitment is understood as Are you giving everything you can? Are you leaving some things off the table? Is there some things you can do, but you're not? this is commitment. And as I said, it is a skill. You get better at it as you practice it. And of course, like any skill, as you don't practice it, you suck at it. But as I was going into, it seems a lot of people nowadays versus In the 20th century, where people in the beginning of the 20th century and all the way to the mid 20th century, I would say up into the 70s and into the 80s, even where people full well understood you're only going to get good if you do this a lot, versus today, where it is very cemented that you can train in martial arts here or there. It's very much like taking an aspirin. It's going to fix you. It's going to bring confidence into your life. You're going to get in shape. It's all these things that used to make up the yellow page ads of old. promised you everything. And promises you everything for your kids too. Everything that's ailing them. Martial arts is going to fix it. And it's going to do it with two hours a week. All you got to do is learn the techniques. You just have to memorize them. And it'll be fine. Ironically, we see this too in even meditation. Forget the fact that the ancients would meditate again four to six hours a day and that they would organize the majority of their day to be of the practice. Now you can get an app and it's five minutes a day and you're set. So, today you have people coming into the dojo, and they're like, "I'm pretty sure I could do this in two hours a week. I'm pretty sure and if or when they can't, it's not that they violated some law, some universal law of being practices. It's that the art's too complicated, it's too old fashioned." Is too traditional. It's not practical. So arguments for practicality have conjoined with this modern prioritization of the intellect and the use of classroom technologies. And it's all working together And the biggest crime of it all is that there is no more introspection. There's no more self-reflections. The very things I proposed is the whole point of the training. Ironically, as we become more likely to not achieve our goals, the goals have displaced the processes. History is always ironic. It's as if God always puts us in these cruel jokes, but it's really ourselves, isn't it? But this is all compounded by people now who were raised in the last few decades by people who didn't understand process and the importance thereof. By people who have reoriented themselves on achievement. And they raise their kids like that. They don't look for plateauing or wrong direction and they're not satisfied with movement forward and right direction and they're not interested in the self-reflective practice of exposing contradiction and hypocrisy. They're only interested in achievement the goal has become all-important. The goal that the ascetic of old knew was never achievable and was meant not to be achievable has now become the end-all. So these people come into the dojo and they have their, their bias against impractical arts, etc., And you tell them you need more commitment because you're not improving. You're going backwards. And it sends them into a tailspin. It's not lighting up for them the path to ego reconciliation. It's just triggering the ego And they start to feel guilty and sad and rejected. Which exposes the inner frailty that has been there. And put in them by this impotent and if not evil cultural system that emphasizes achievement over everything. This is one reason, in my opinion, the sensei-deshi relationship has, is being systematically dismantled in modern Aikido. You have deshi who have been psychologically sabotaged by this overemphasis of achievement, and you have sensei who also suffer the same. The worst thing For us moderns is for our teachers, our sensei, to adopt any kind of parental equivalency. because this is usually how this achievement obsession comes to us as children. And so it's very important for most of us moderns that our teachers are not really teachers. they're definitely not fathers or mothers. God forbid. Also god god forbid because god that would make god a father figure no that's also bad I just want a friend on the mat And by that we dismantle one of the key technologies for moving beyond ourselves We come to the dojo now to stay the same. Just don't point it out. Well, like every challenge, every stressor, the greater the stressor, the greater the adaptation. And if you walk into a traditional dojo and this is your view of achievement and investment, it's going to hurt. that frailty is going to be exposed and it's going to hurt. But that's the purification process. That's the adaptation taking place. My advice is see it through. Keep moving forward through it. Hang out longer. Risk waiting. See what happens. Risk waiting to see what happens. In other words, start practicing some faith and some trust. And if you can't or when you can't, make that part of your training. As I said, you might need to fix 10 things to fix one thing. So as you move away from the delusion of 100% achievement you might have to fix or develop a skill in trust and faith before that. And that too, as with everything in a way, upon the way, that too is in some manner more important Than even the goal of moving beyond a concern with 100% achievement. So again, we want a naturalness to our training. Aikido. is a body-mind practice we want a fluency there's some sort of minimum requirement for fluency in terms of hours committed and also in terms of whether our practice makes up a minority or a majority of our day. And the practice of making our training a majority of the day is a practice of sacrifice. Of letting go of those things, those people, those idea, those ideas, those actions, those organizations that prevent that from happening. And we are constantly on the watch for plateaus and movement in the wrong direction. Once we determine our goals, we're on the watch for inconsistency and contradiction and hypocrisy. And to do that, we use the metric of achievement. What is the actual outcome of your practice? And whatever that outcome is, how proximal is it to your goal? But we understand clearly That the metric of achievement is only used here as a compass to note a direction. Because we understand the goal is not a destination but a process. And so the metric of achievement is only part of a process itself. And we understand that as moderns things are slanted against us because the art has adopted academic models of learning. Models of learning geared towards the intellect not models of learning geared towards a body-mind unification or a fluency of being. And we equally understand that for several generations now we have been plagued hereditarily by seeing self-worth through achievement only. That this working in processes and in self-reflection for the sake of self-reflection is culturally foreign to us. And that we're going to be resistant towards the call for more commitment and more discipline. Because those words have come to mean something else than they did mean and have to mean when we're interested in practical ends. We have to understand that as moderns we're going to be resistant to it and in that resistance we're going to probably feel rejected And that we have lost value and our self-worth has gone down. And therefore, we're going to need some trust and some faith. And we're going to have to develop those skills in trust and faith. In order to continue to maintain our direction and our movement along that path. True training is hard because of this. But our goal and our understanding is that difficulty is the marker for where my training should happen. Difficulty and resistance are light posts. They're telling me where to go. The worst thing I can do is go the other way. There are clues. They are markers of the path. And if we are walkers of the path, when they call, we go. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit SensionCenter.com. S E N S H I N C E N T E R.com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.